Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're gonna love it. Hello and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, along with our dinner party recommendations, those shows that we are just desperate to talk to somebody about. My name is John Boehm, here with Ali Herbert-Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Ali, we're talking about two new exciting things this week. What are we diving into? We have a new TV series called The Time Traveller's Wife. This is a six-part series that adapts the novel and some of our listeners might be familiar with the film of the same name. And then we have a new season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So we're going from going back in time to going over to LA. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's jump in the time machine and explore the time traveler's wife. Time travel. It's not a superpower. It's a disability. It's what's wrong with me. We just happen to each other in the wrong order. Any hobbies? I'm your future wife. Based on the 2003 novel of the same name, The Time Traveler's Wife is the love story of Claire and Henry, slightly complicated by Henry's involuntary time travel, starring Rose Leslie and Theo James, and adapted for television by Stephen Moffat. The series asks some big questions about destiny, free will, and true love. Ali, what do you think of this one? Hi, John. I am four episodes into the six of this that are in the series, and I've been really galloping through them. I'm really enjoying it. I think the screenplay, the writing, and the involvement of Stephen Moffat is is really noticeable for me in this series. Stephen Moffat, for some of our viewers and listeners, was the man behind the most recent BBC um, version of Sherlock and how that story was kind of taken to a next level of, of storytelling. And because it's over six hours and six episodes, it has a lot more story to it than what the film did. So I've been really kind of enjoying almost understanding more about the complications that come out of their love story that this format allows you to tell. Because sometimes you go, why do we need a show? We had the film. Is this really necessary? But I think on this one, it does add a lot more to the story. Yeah. Just on Stephen Moffat, Sherlock, obviously massive. He also sort of reinvigorated Doctor Who most recently. And for those of us that are a little bit older, was also behind Press Gang and Coupling. So he's got sort of a really cool CV of some really beloved series. So it it has been really interesting to see his take on this. With the Doctor Who and the Sherlock, you can kind of understand maybe what's been the appeal for him to this. Because going into this, I had not read the book and I'd not seen the film. And... You know, when you kind of just picture what something's going to be before you watch Mm -hmm. it? In my mind, I was like, oh, this is going to be about a woman whose husband time travels and like pops in and out. She'll be at home raising the kids and he'll have like gone to medieval times or something or and like gone to the future. But then we'll come back and there'll be this like central point where he like keeps jumping in and out of. And that is not at all what it is about. Mm -hmm. It is both much more interesting and much more complicated than I thought the story was going to be going into it because there's no kind of central moment in time where they're both together always that, you know, it's all about keeping track of where he's going to be. They do kind of helpfully put up on screen a Henry age 24, Claire age 16, because outside of the Rose Leslie, Theo James 
acted parts of it. There's also much younger versions of them portrayed by other actors. So not at all what I thought it was going to be going into it. Obviously, apologies to the author and the filmmakers for the previous versions of this, but I went into this pretty fresh. I was really impressed. Covers a lot of territory. It's really interesting. Well, I actually went back and watched the film before I started again, just to remind myself, because it had been a while since I'd seen it. So the film from 2009, starring Rachel McAdams and Eric Banner, similar to this, Claire and Henry are... They're based in Chicago. There's a lot about the story that is very similar. It's not like they've picked this up and gone in a really different creative direction um, or set it in England or done anything. Like it's the same, it's effectively the same story. What I think is interesting about this is at the end of episode two, you've seen two episodes that are probably a bit more like the film and you're seeing a lot about um, Henry doing the time travel, but then you effectively they're interviewing Claire as an older woman, the wife, and she says, but this is not a story about the time traveler. This is a story about the time traveler's wife. And then Eps three and four take you into very much her point of view of what it's like to be left behind when the travel is happening. And I think that's where this gets a bit more interesting with the six hours that it's got to tell the story a lot more of her perspective, the emotional pressure that they're being put through, the fear for Henry where he gets dropped into things, a lot more about her early life and how they got together and some really interesting elements that are new to the story than than were in the film. So, yeah, I think if people have seen the film, this will feel like they're being dropped into a world that they know, but then I think it expands it it and it takes it into some more depth as well, which I think people will enjoy. And the casting is is fabulous. I'm a Huge Rose Leslie fan, but also Theo James, who starred in Sanditon that listens to the podcast will remember us talking about a few weeks ago when season two launched. He was the kind of main love interest in season one. He's also going to be appearing later this year in, or hopefully later this year, the second season of The White Lotus. Um, so very much a star on the rise and, and I know has a lot of fans. And Rose Leslie, we know from most recently from Vigil, but of course Game of Thrones as well. Yeah, it's got an excellent cast. It, it's almost a t- like a two-hander at time because you really are following them. There, there's, there's some supporting characters, but it's very intensely about <laughs> this couple. It really does ask some like I guess this is always happens with sort of time traveling stories and we've briefly spoken about time traveling previously on the podcast with about time but I thought it was interesting it kind of sets up that like one of the premises or one of the like questions that it kind of asks the audience or I felt it was asking me was is it worth having one strong burning exciting moment in your life or have like a long life of like okayness and Like, I think it basically asked that question. I've fumbled it, sorry. But I thought it was interesting that the show's premise is like, no, life is meant to be these like exciting short moments, even if they can't last very long. And I I don't know if I agree with that, but I think it's... (laughs) But I think it's really interesting that it's posing that question because obviously the show is about these two people who destiny has determined they should be together for whatever reason and they can't spend all this time together because of the constant time travelling that's happening. So is it worth it for them to just have these moments together or is it actually tormenting them because they can't spend time together and should they just walk away from this thing and just go and have sort of ordinary but maybe less traumatic but also less exciting lives yeah so Um, it's a good point when you're saying at the beginning that you hadn't read the book or film so just to kind of explain this to people because yeah time travel sometimes one of those kind of fantasy genres where people go it's either my cup of tea or it's not so henry the husband is the time traveler and he only travels within the time zone of his 
roughly his lifespan. So from being a child, kind of age six, age eight, all the way up to later in his life, he's not, to John's point, he's not jumping back to the wild, wild west or going forward to, or to stop wars or whatever. The second thing is one of the rules of time travel is you, you can't change things that have happened. There is, to your point, John, there is some kind of sense of inevitableness of where your life's going to go or what's meant to happen. So you can't go back in time and stop something that you might not want to have, have happen happen, you know, if it's a death or something, despite how you might try. Which they do explore with the death of the mother and obviously the lack of control he feels like he has over this defining moment in his life. And even though he's a time traveler, he can't do anything about it. Yeah. And I suppose so. once you've kind of understood, okay, this is roughly the rules of time travel, what happens or why does he time travel? And, you know, they kind of explain it that it's, it's almost like a, a sur- electrical surge in his brain, similar to like epile- epilepsy, where often when he's seeing a computer screen or if he's very stressed or something kind of triggers it and then he can kind of go, but you don't always know. Sometimes he'll be around for ages and he won't go. And then sometimes he's he's slipping away every few minutes. Once that world is set, then you get into the crux of the love story. And I think in the film, you got to set up how these people meet, the fact that they're moving between time all the time. And then there's this beautiful love story arc. What I really like about this series is there's more depth and more time to explore the characters. So what's happening in the wife's life in the gaps between Henry moving back and forth between time is much more explored in the series the ancillary friends and other characters in their life are much more developed in the series. The relationship with his mother, uh, a lot more about who his mum was as well for Claire, her flatmates, her other love interests, what was going on in her high school life. And, you know, so you kind of are getting painted a much more vivid picture of, of who they are, which I think makes this a really sticky viewing and again, amplifies and adds something more to the movie. And so deserves to be made in my view. Yeah. And, you know, it's absolutely science fiction sort of by definition, but I do really like that. It's kind of explained as this genetic disorder. So it's not like he's going into a machine or walking through a portal or something, um, which I think (laughs) almost makes it kind of feel more realistic because you're not walking through a stargate or anything. It sets up the rules really cleanly at the start. I think think Stephen Moffat, you can see that to your point with his experience with Doctor Who, but Sherlock as well, like, you know, some of those complex emotional moments for Sherlock when he was getting lost in his brain and, you know, the way he was with these numbers and they'd be flashing up on the screen and, you know, some of that kind of storytelling and disciplines come in with, yeah, marking the time, helping you land and know where they are, you know, in what are quite complicated emotional moments. And yeah, getting that structure right about how time travel actually works. So then you're just settling in and, and watching a really interesting story about people falling in love and the age you are as it moves from dating into marriage and kids and all that comes with it. So, um, but you get a much better sense of this couple and their relationship, what's brought them into this situation than you did in the film. We talked about Stephen Moffat and Doctor Who and some of the other time travel stuff that he's done, but time travel generally, if it's not your cup of tea, but it's been done a lot of times in lots of different ways in film. Any other favourite ones of yours that are on Binge or that we should know about? I am a, a unabashed fan of other Rachel McAdams <laughs> time travel rom-com <laughs> about time. I think in the same way as The Time Traveller's Wife, it sets up a really clear and interesting set of rules around time travel and also in a very realistic not sci-fi way they just walk into a closet and then time travel there aren't machines or portals or anything it's a very very good film isn't it very good film. and equally in the, in the same vein um groundhog day yes yes which i just think is well i think it's one of the best films of all time um but also does the time loop thing in a really interesting way as a kid i loved bill and ted's excellent adventures you know they'd go into that for young people listening to podcasts you used to have a phone booth and you'd have to put money in 
or you'd call your mum and dad on like a reverse charge. (laughs) What do you mean they're free? Doesn't walk into a phone box. They're free now. What? Who pays for it? Telstra. Telstra. Well, well done, Telstra. But back in the day, you had to save your coins, put them in anyway, and they were always smelly or waiting. You were waiting in a queue for them. But anyway, Bill and Ted jump in the phone box and that was their portal back into the past. But that was a really different one where you'd be dropped back into, you know, you were properly going back into different eras of history, yeah. which is why I always loved it. But I think we've got that on binge as well, don't we? My favourite little like tidbit about Groundhog Day, which I don't think has ever been proven or not, but the theory is like a you know some film critic or someone did an analysis of it and they theorized that based on the storylines and everything that happens in the movie he was in that loop for like 10,000 years mm. which i think adds like a sort of well, a terrifying new <laughs> aspect to it but i like the idea that someone was like how long would it actually take to do all these things and it was like he was actually trapped in this groundhog day loop for millennia wow which Good you know adds a new layer when you're watching it again doesn't it well i'll have to do that and if we've got we've got um, Back to the Future, I think, too, don't we? We do have the trilogy. And, John, if those tips aren't enough, we also have on Binge what we call Binge Centres, which are ways for us to group content together. Sometimes we have them by talent or actor or actress, sometimes by theme, and we actually have a time travel binge centre. So you've got Back to the Future, Groundhog Day, About Time, Interstellar, Legends of Tomorrow, Heroes. There's some TV shows as well in there. Yeah, lots to get lost in. So The Time Traveler's Wife starts Monday, May 16th. Six episodes, as we mentioned, they're rolling out weekly. And for those of you who are fans of Eric Banner and Rachel McAdams or just want to compare and contrast, the film is also streaming for you now on Binge. There are days he keeps going back to. I can't control it. And I hate to be where she's not. I'm always going and she can't follow. Why is love? intensified by absence. The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, the sixth spin-off of the franchise and the most watched edition of the reality juggernaut returns for its 12th season this week on Binge. You are one of my best friends. Why are you doing this to me? You talk out of those sides of your mouth. Be very careful because she's not who she says she is. It's my life to burn down. Then destroy it. I'm leaving. I am pissed off. Was it really that bad? Ali, I have started reluctantly watching this show just as part of my duties at Binge, but I now find myself sort of less reluctantly watching it because it is surprisingly compelling. That said, I feel like I'm a little toddler who's still just (laughs) taking some baby steps into the Real Housewives world. I know the big shock of last season had something to do with Erica. Am I right? Yes. Erica Jane, whose husband... Now, ex-husband is the guy who basically the movie Aaron Brockovich was about. He was the major lawyer that fought for the good people in their fight in the film Eric Brockovich, but he's like a big Hollywood lawyer. But he has been charged with embezzling money and including for the victims of the Lion Air plane crash. Um, And they had been, Erica had been kind of the most wealthy of all the housewives and their life kind of imploded in the last season and has kind of been playing out. And from the promos and the snippets that we've seen so far of the season, it looks like it's going to be another big storyline. But it's probably good just to go back to your jumping on your point there about being a toddler. There seems to be kind of three (laughs) buckets of housewives fans. There's the housewife that I've come across in my life. There's the housewife fans who love every housewife franchise because you've mentioned that the Beverly Hills was the sixth spin-off um, but they're all around the world we have a real housewives of Melbourne in Australia we've done a Sydney one um, in the past as well but people kind of just love all housewives then there's 
people that prefer particular franchises and of those the Beverly Hills one is very very popular and I think it probably appeals to a slightly broader audience because of a lot of the Hollywood element to it because a lot of them are connected to entertainment or have famous people as well in their story. So, and then there's the third bucket of people with housewives that hate the housewives. And if they hear it on in the room as they walk past, it's just a lot of noise and sometimes a lot of fighting and it can be quite hectic. So I think you're either, you're probably becoming bucket number two, maybe. The popularity of Beverly Hills has certainly drawn me into it, but also in the same way that I had a sort of preconceived notion of what Time Traveler's Wife was about. My preconceived notion up until recently of what The Real Housewives was about was just people yelling at each other over dinner, <laughs> which I know, to be fair, is a bit of the show. No, but I'm kind of a bit the same. I, I, I like a couple of the franchises. I find if it can get a bit shouting a bit much if you watch it all the time and some, of, especially if there's an, a season when there's a, there is a bit of a feud going on or a proper fallout, it can be a little bit stressful to watch sometimes because there's a bit too much fighting rather than the bits I like about it, which is a sticky beak into the lives of the rich and famous. Who doesn't like that? You get to see their houses, their cars, their lives, and then they normally go on a holiday altogether every season, um, which often causes some drama, but they're often going away in fancy planes to nice places. So again, there's a little bit of escapism and people can kind of look on and and imagine what their lives might've been. And effectively it's a soap opera of the friendships between these women. And in real life, they actually are friends and, you know, and what often plays out in the show is the changing tides and winds in the friendships as they sometimes, as it is in in life, friends for a season, friends for a reason. You don't always get on with everyone all the time. But you still go on holidays. You still go on holidays with them or like (laughs) it becomes a bit mean girl on the bus thing a bit sometimes, like I'm not talking to you. And and then that's when it deteriorates. It can get a little bit distressing sometimes to watch, but at its best, it's super interesting. And and you're often reading the stories of the women, especially in the more famous franchises are playing out in the press as well. So on top of that theme, as you started off about Erica and what her husband's been charged with, there's also a housewife called Dorit and her husband PK, he's like a music mogul. He's been the longtime manager of Boy George and PK um, is English and he's overseas this season on a business trip and the house in LA, Dorit's at home with the two children and it actually gets broken into and they get burgled and she's actually a little bit like what happened to to Kim Kardashian in Paris. She comes across them robbing them and it's the middle of the night and she's kind of begging not to hurt her. The children are asleep in the house and thankfully don't wake up and they end up running away with a whole lot of jewels and she's left okay but obviously huge impact of having such a, a violent crime. So that appears to be a big theme this season. And the last big one that's coming across is Kathy Hilton and Kyle Richards. So Kyle Richards is second generation Hollywood, you know, daughter of, of an actress, um, has grown up in Hollywood and she has a number of sisters and one of them, Kathy Hilton, who's married to the Hilton Hotel family and the mother of Paris Hilton and Nikki Hilton. So Kyle is one of the most famous housewives. So she's effectively the aunt of Paris Hilton and her sister Kathy has come and joined the season in the last few years. Um, And they've often had a spotted history, kind of sisters fighting, sometimes close, sometimes not, that's kind of played out over the years, but there appears to be a big blow up between the sisters this season, which I'm not sure what is the cause of that. But it's a bit of a departure because we left last season with everyone happy families and Kyle and Kathy kind of reunited. So watch this space. To reference the the Kardashians in the same way that like every week the news cycle or like the latest thing on TikTok is about what happened 
on the Kardashians. This is what Real Housewives of Beverly Hills does to the culture when it's running. The number of articles and hot takes and things that come out of each episode is always amusing to see. And having now watched it, it is nice to be able to finally understand some of the references and things that people are talking about. I did think it was interesting. I saw someone had written like a big think piece about the Housewives franchise in general. And I thought they made a really interesting point in saying that the Real Housewives franchise today kind of fills the whole that daytime soaps used to feel like 20 or 30 years ago where it was the idea that everyone watched daytime soaps back in the day like they were enormous things they there were magazines about them you talked about the storylines it was you know helped there were only three tv channels to watch but it was this like cultural thing that a lot of people centered around and now it's kind of moved to the housewives because there are similar stories like you talk about with like break-ins and you know divorces and you know, it's soap opera level. Totally stranger than fiction. Storylines. <laughs> but then has the benefit of being real. You can then follow it on Instagram and the Daily Mail writes about it and it's like a real all-encompassing soap opera. I think you bang on. And what was really interesting about why is the Beverly Hills version so popular? Ironically, a few of the people that have been in it over the years have actually come from the soap world. So Eileen Davidson, who was in, she's not in the current seasons, left a few years ago, but like she's one of the most famous soap opera actresses of all time. Days of Our Lives, Young and the Restless, Bold and the Beautiful. You've got Lisa Rinna, who is famous for Melrose Place, but also married to Harry Hamlin, has also done a bit of Days of Our Lives and, and soap work. She's now a bit like the Kardashians, got famous daughters that are becoming supermodels. Yolanda Hadid, Bella Did's mother. Yolanda was originally a model, but now has famous Hollywood children, um, was also married to a big Hollywood producer and went through her divorce through the show. Equally, Camille Grammer, who was Kelsey Grammer's wife, they went through a big divorce. There's this, they call it the housewife curse, which is you often see people's marriages in the show. Husbands are involved as, if they want to, but often, you know, the marriages and things fall apart as well. So I think Beverly Hills has been so interesting because you've had people involved that are in the entertainment or the film industry. They're kind of famous anyway. And then again, you're getting another sticky beak into a life that most of us will never know anything about. So Ali, pretend you're um, Andy Cohen for a second. Uh, we're going to make another Real Housewives of Australia somewhere. Where where do you want to follow around? Well, before we get to Australia, I've often wondered why there is no Real Housewives of London. Like I know there's Made in Chelsea and they've done. There is, a, and, and there's Real Housewives of, of Cheshire. Cheshire. But like, hello, I want to go into the like the hoity-toity world of London. So I definitely do a London one. And well, let's go to Canberra. There must be a lot going on in that town. You'd have thrown up a couple of politicians or politicians' wives. Some diplomats. or That'd some be cool. Fancy public servants yeah. or some defence people. Yep. I love Canberra almost as much as I love about time. So <laughs> I, would, I, would de- I would definitely watch A Real Housewives of Canberra. Well, I know you're... you're- Canberrian. Is that what you call you? What are you? Canberrian. Maybe you could take us deep into the world of um, Monica and, you know, Red Hill. Some some stuff goes down. (laughs) Make a good good show. Awesome. And yeah, as you mentioned, there's many different iterations of Real Housewives with Beverly Hills arguably being the, the most popular, at least at the moment. But if you are a fan of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, we've also got all of Melbourne and Sydney, the local version streaming on Binge. And we also released the most recent episodes of Potomac, Cheshire, New Jersey, Orange County, New York City, and the Beverly Hills spin-off, Vanderpump Rules. So 
yeah, whole world of the Housewives to explore. Season 12 of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills starts May 12th. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, there's already at least one episode out. They're released weekly and there are anticipated to be 20 episodes this season. So you've got like months and months of this ahead of you. So lock in Thursday afternoons. If we're going to talk about Erica's behavior... Are we going to talk about everybody in this group? For a year and a half, I've been f***ing Paul. Okay, so that's why you want Kathy to be called out. Yes, it is, actually. You said some things about this beautiful sister of yours. I'm sorry, Kathy. You're not going to get away with it. I feel like you hate me or something. Kyle. How could you say those things? Kyle. John, if you're not a fan of time travel or, um you know, privileged people in Beverly Hills, any other of your dinner party recommendations you can let our listeners in on your hot tips of what to watch on Binge? Well, I didn't plan it like this, but I am accidentally keeping us in California, but for a very different story. And that is the new 12-part sort of expose documentary series, The Secrets of Playboy. Oh, okay. Well, I just have to come up with a new dinner party recommendation because I was going to talk about it. Oh, is it yours? Well, let's just talk about it then. Okay, yeah. Yeah, let's let's have a little dinner party over Zoom right now and talk about The Secrets of Playboy because I think there is a lot to talk about. Well, lucky Hef's dead because otherwise I think he was going to go down the path of every other cancelled man of recent generations because it's pretty salacious there was a side of playboy that nobody wants to talk about he was an advocate for sexual freedom and the first amendment and he really did believe he owned these women there's some things that i've never saw the light of day i didn't realize that getting into the playboy world was a dangerous choice he didn't want people to know what was really going on. It's mentioned multiple times throughout the documentary series, but he dies in like September 2017 and October 2017 is like Harvey Weinstein, the big first Me Too explosion. So a few people through the documentary be like, he died a few weeks before he was probably going to get torn apart. Wow. So I hadn't realised that timeline um, being that tight. But yeah, this is a fascinating series. The title is kind of salacious, so it's going to, I think it'll get people in, but it really is an expose into sort of the like culty world of Hugh Hefner. Mm. Yeah, the sort of sprawling empire he created. It actually covers a fairly big period of time. It's 12 episodes, isn't it? There's a lot. He's 12 episodes. Get stuck into. It's interesting the way they break it up. Like part of it's sort of an early history of Playboy and how it got started. Part of it talks about, to talk about reality TV, there's a whole episode on The Girls Next Door, which was the sort of playboy e reality series, which is another thing that you now look back on sort of only a decade later and be like, oh, my God, how is this a reality show? Yeah. But do you remember the early episodes in The Kardashians when Kim was kind of so famous after the sex tape and stuff there's whole episodes about her going and getting shot for playboy and her and chris are just like like overwhelmed like they're meeting this legend and it's like yeah yeah at some point they describe the documentary as an unraveling the glamorous mythology and i think that really sums it up because it seems like playboy well outlived like its time because of the sort of mythology around the brand Mm -hmm. and because of the mansion and because of the clubs and you know what the brand and the magazine meant but yeah, this documentary really is one of those like fresh takes on, again, something you think you know about, but with now sort of enough time between Hugh Hefner's death and what's happened in the world to watch this, it's just kind of like jaw dropping stuff. So it came out earlier this year in the US where it broke 
ratings for the network that it aired on there. And it was actually such a successful show and it was only meant to be 10 episodes. They actually went and only recently have made these final two episodes, which is sort of more sit downs and more talks with other people who kind of wanted to come forward as a result of the documentary coming out. So yeah, it's like, it is in depth. It is this 12 part series. A lot of his wives have spoken to like interviewed and tell their stories as well, don't they? Yeah. Wives and girlfriends and colleagues and friends. And there's an episode about people that were in his circle as well. And talks about like Roman Polanski and Bill Cosby being at Playboy Mansion parties. And yeah, it's fascinating just on so many levels. Like it's basically about a cult. Like these women had curfews and couldn't leave the house and couldn't talk to other people, but also sort of the like business empire that it created and what that said about the world. And also just what like power and money and privilege gets you and what you can kind of skate by with getting away with when you're sort of a rich white dude. 12 episodes on Playboy seems like a lot, but I think it just speaks to like how big an impact the brand and Hugh Hefner had in culture over the last like 50 years. And a lot of that business empire is gone now, isn't it? Like it's, I mean, the brand is still so iconic with the bunny ears and, you know, and the bunny, but like it's not the business that it was. Is it still around? The magazine and everything I I think doesn't exist anymore. It's a sort of a big um, brand licensing thing now where they still license the brand to a lot of people. But the documentary also makes this super clear as you're watching it multiple times. The people who own and run Playboy now have sort of no association with the, the Hefners or that legacy. So yeah, they just obviously want to make that very clear that Playboy today has nothing to do with the sort of Hugh Hefner Playboy. But yeah, it it still exists as sort of this brand lifestyle entity, but certainly it's nothing like the heyday of when they had clubs all over the US and, you know, millions of people subscribed to the magazine. And Very interesting. We often talk about documentaries about true crime or or real issues that are happening. I think we've got a really great collection, but we've got some great Jeffrey Epstein stuff as well that kind of goes behind the headlines to help explain what happened there. I know there's a Jimmy Savile documentary on Netflix at the moment that's, that's getting talked about a lot. So very timely, but I also feel like there's a bit of distance between the Me Too stuff breaking where we can look at this it's interesting how much our lens on this stuff has changed. And I think there's been a good chunk of time since he's died and, and since the Me Too movement where you can, yeah, really look at this and have a very in-depth understanding of what it actually means and how we're now viewing it with 2022. You know, the brand was in decline for, you know, a long time before Hugh Hefner's death. And they even talk about how the sort of e-reality show was one of their like you know, attempts to try to revitalize the brand because at the time the brand was meaning less and less. And the reality show really did successfully revitalize the brand for Mm. a few years. But yeah, to to now look back on the reality show and what it was about and, you know, some of the women that were involved, some of the women that were the the girls next door within it talk about having to like sign these three-year contracts to be on the show, but then them saying, well, me signing this is basically me signing to say I'm going to be Hugh Hefner's girlfriend for three years because you're not going to be on the show if you're not his girlfriend. But then how can you sign a contract to say you're going to be someone's girlfriend? Like just really, like really. Gets into the icky territory pretty quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. On the true crime stuff, because so much of culture sort of centered and happened around the Playboy Mansion, there's an episode that talks about like some murders and some overdoses. And it's just, it's sort of incredible how much much went through Playboy at the time. Yeah. And the age of the women, you know, if they wanted to get married and have children or have a, you know, different kind of life rather than just staying in this kind of college girl, beautiful young thing stage, like then, and they would, they'd kind of get older and leave and then he'd replace them with like a next generation. But Or if they even cut their hair. Yeah. Put on weight. They had got weight all the time and stuff, didn't they? Yeah. So it feels like this story has been brewing for a while so um 
yeah, really interesting to see it played out over the twelve episodes. It's since it's come on to binge, it's super popular, isn't it? It's it's gone it's gone wild in the last week. Yeah, it's attracted a really strong audience since we put up the um, full season. And I, I, having now watched my way through it all, I can really understand why because it is one of those things that you you think you know about or like you think you like how much more to it is there guys turns out there is a lot yeah more i'm not it. all the way through yet so that's good to know there's some things that you've talked about there that um, i'm yet to get stuck into so good dinner party wreck i was actually um shout out to some friends we had dinner at my house on friday night and i was telling them that we have this podcast and i was like we actually have a segment called dinner party wrecks because we were having a dinner party conversation about what to watch and everyone was saying what shows they were watching and they were talking about the flight attendant a whole different thing i was like well this is why you need the dinner party Rex, because when you actually see your friends, you can talk about shows. So secret life of Playboy at that tier list, gang. I have extensive electronic equipment in the house, which includes videotape equipment. Sometimes things happen in the bedroom. It was a beautiful world. It looked that way, but it was really ugly. When you get someone that powerful, anything could happen, anything. I wouldn't trade places with anyone else in the world. His legacy should comprise the whole story. The people who are really there, they're the ones who know the real truth. Thanks so much for joining us again on Skip Intro. This week we discussed The Time Traveler's Wife, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and both Ali and I both recommended that you check out Secrets of Playboy all of which are streaming now on Binge, which of course you can find on your favourite device. I'm John Baum, joined every week by Ali Herbert Burns. Please send us some stars and some reviews. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can always just hit us up on the at Binge socials. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates. And we'll be back next week with more suggestions on what you can enjoy on Binge. <laughs>